Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My just job, my job here, not just entertain, but how about contextual? That's right. I'm entertaining and I'm educating. I'm teaching. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. We must never be blind to opportunity, particularly if that opportunity is man-made. Oh, this morning, the market looked like it would have another bad down day until Fed Vice Chairman Richard Clarida told CNBC that while the economy is strong, there's reason for the Federal Reserve to be more data dependent. How, much, how many times have we called for that? Data dependent, meaning a little more cautious about the speed of gun in the rate hikes given the worldwide slowdown. With these comments, the market shed its initial gloom. Then President Trump suggested that the Chinese won a trade deal very badly, which pushed us still higher, with the Dow ultimately gaining 124 points, S&P rising 0.22%, NASDAQ declining 0.15%. Now, immediately there were questions about whether the validity or the sincerity of both these statements was, uh, let's say it was called in question. After all, Clarity did say the economy is really humming. Now, I'm still scratching my head about how he could be so wrong. I mean, it was at one point. I started thinking, was it a lack of homework or maybe it was some sort of ideological thing? Either way, I feel pretty confident about my record of monetary policy. I'm 1-0 versus the Fed. Remember back in 2007 when I said they know nothing? They know nothing! And it turned out that they uh, really did, in fact, know nothing. I have to hope that, that this uh, Clarita fella and the other members of the Federal Market Committees start working the phones. Maybe find out some of the truth. Get the real data. Maybe read the conference calls we got from about 200 companies in the last few weeks. Hey, for heaven's sake, maybe watch the darn show and listen to when I interview these CEOs. But I don't know if they're focused. I mean, you really got to focus if you have one of those jobs. As for the president's remarks on China, total wild card. White House aides immediately anonymously tried to walk back the whole thing. But who knows? I mean, maybe the Chinese really do want a deal. Maybe President Trump was just giving us some of his usual uh, hyperbole. Still, as I've said repeatedly, if the Fed declares victory in the war against inflation, 
and I think they should if they take the next rate hike, and the president gets some substantive change from the Chinese, the market's going to come roaring back. On the other hand, if the Fed keeps beating the economy over the head with a series of rate hikes, and the president's simply shining us on, then the industrials and the tech stocks will continue to get mauled by the bear. Which brings us to our truncated game plan, because after all, next week is Thanksgiving. So we're going to have little to do after Wednesday, except eat. On Monday after the close, we hear from L Brands, which used to be known, by the way, as Limited. It's the owner of Bath & Body Works, Pink, Victoria's Secret. I think the venerable chain, uh, run by, and remember, I didn't say vulnerable, I said venerable, run by CEO Les Wexter, may be turning itself around because the company's closing underperforming divisions and making all sorts of improvements. Now, it won't be easy, but I do think that the stock may be done going down. People have turned against fashion. Have you noticed? No matter what the fashion apparel companies report, it hasn't been enough. They all get hammered. And that's been true for L Brands. It might also be true for Urban Outfitters, which also reports Monday. With the stock at 37 down, big from 52, I think it might not be a bad spec. That said, I do prefer other more consistent retailers. We're going to hear about them in a moment. Now, we get results from Intuit, too. And this digital tax preparer, it has blown away quarter after quarter after quarter. You know, we have them on the show. It's an amazing story. Uh, what, 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 why do I think it's going to change? I mean, it's a fantastic company. I think it delivers fantastic results. Tuesday morning, we find out how housing starts are doing. Well, I guess if you listen to that uh, Clarida fellow, housing starts are strong, right? I mean, he says business is booming, economy, employment, I mean, you know, all those things. I bet they're dismal. Here's the dirty truth about housing in this country. Homes have largely become unaffordable for many Americans at these prices. New homes are too expensive and mortgage rates have soared. KB Home, which is one of the largest and the best home run home builders, one that we recommended at 12, we called almost a triple, told us that in the last month their business plummeted. This shocked everybody except those of us who've been doing the homework, and the stock was obliterated. It's one of those details that should be jarring to anyone at the Fed with even half a brain. Now, I did some uh, arithmetic, and there are nine members of the Open Market Committee. Hopefully, they have at least four and a half brains among them. We also hear from the last of the retailers, uh, starting with Best Buy, and they're uh, going to probably go out with a bang. Lately, analysts have been fretting about the quarter. I suspect that they must know something. I'm going to be a little careful here. I've been telling members of the ActionLearnsPlus.com club that they should own Kohl's, and until this week, it had been a big winner. We've been buying some of the cha- for the charitable trust in this latest week. This replacing stock we sold at much higher levels. We're going to keep buying Kohl's on the way down, even if it gets hit, as they all are, because the management, uh, we like the management. We think the company's still in a multi-year comeback, either as we acknowledge that Every one of these retail stocks has been bad. Lowe's is interesting here. I know that uh, Home Depot laid an egg when it reported its decent beat and raise. And the stock got creamed. Lowe's is a special situation, though, because it has a fantastic new CEO, Marvin Ellison. And I think he's bringing back to, uh, some, of that, uh, some of the old magic to the chain. I mean, it really used to be electric there. I know that many money managers regard Lowe's as nothing more than a housing play, and that dooms the stock. I beg to differ. There's much more to this situation because it's a work in progress turnaround, and Ellison tolerates very little indolence or sloppiness, as I know from personal experience. Raw stores is delivered repeatedly, and it, report, it reports uh, at the same time as competitor TJ, TJX. They've been big winners. You know what? I think they continue to be so. Kudos to TJX for splitting its stock, by the way. So many CEOs refuse to split their high-dollar stocks because they're afraid the big money managers are unhappy with having to pay more commissions when they buy or sell as they pay them per, trans- per share, not per transaction. You know, these uh, CEOs who are afraid they figure it's better not to split the stock so a fund can incur fewer costs, maybe that encourages some funds to buy their stock. That is so foolish. 
In a market dominated by ETFs, the bigger the dollar amount, the greater the volatility, which scares away many buyers. And the buy and homework people, the investors like you, they don't want this at all. Who cares about the commission amounts? That's the hedge funds problems. But we don't want to scare people away from stocks. If you want the best trade of the week, you know what? Forget retail. I think you should go buy some Medtronic, the giant medical device company that's been an extraordinary performer, amazing group. We had them on. I, I was blown away by the CEO's plan. What more can I say? I really like it. After the close Tuesday, Gap Store supports And All I can say is these guys are the kings of inconsistency. I'm always pulling for them, but they rarely deliver. Don't fall into the gap. We also hear from Foot Locker. And for a lot of investors, this one's been too hard to figure out, including this guy. Instead, now it's become just about getting a window, a read into uh, how Nike and Under Armour are doing. I bet we'll like what we hear. This remains a hot space. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving is important because it's historically been a cheery day for the market. But we also get existing home sales. And this could be the worst Maybe the worst housing number. Why? Because an existing home sale often involves a person selling a home to buy a bigger and better home. Right now, that means giving up a refinanced low single-digit mortgage for one that could be above 5%. Talk about unaffordable. That's just plain bad news. Finally, John Deere reports, and we're already hearing analysts chatter that the farm equipment cycle has peaked. It's all over but the crying Remember, the late cycle theme is what makes me so nervous about the Fed's vigilance in raising rates. You don't do that. You don't take the late cycle and jam it down your throat, for heaven's sake. Be careful, dear. I'm inclined to believe the worries. Bottom line, we're still stuck on a tightrope between the late cycle fears and the prospect of freeze in tariffs of a more prudent and, and a more prudent Federal Reserve, which is going to win out. Uh, we won't know until we get a trade deal or the Fed says the wait and see that would be the prudent decision, not the rash way they're approaching this. We'll wait and see before committing to three rate hikes next year. Now, it's very binary hike or no hike deal or no deal, except unlike the latter. This isn't a game show. Isabella and Madison. Oh, it's a twofer from New Jersey. Isabella and Madison. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. And I am 10 years old. This is Madison, and I'm 11 years old. Our dad had to start investment clubs one year ago with our friends. We've been watching videos of Warren Buffett and TV shows like Mad Money, which we love. Booyah! Booyah! We've been investing in things we know. We love Justice, which is the clothing store at the mall. We learned to a club that is owned by a senior retail group. Last October, we invested in the stock when it was $2, and it went up to $4. Yay! It's been the best stock in our portfolio. Our question is, should we hold it, sell it, buy more, or find more something new? For example, our brother Max and his friends love the video game Fortnite and want to invest in that, but we can't because it is private. Any advice for two Jersey girls trying to make some mad money? Yes! First of all, thank you for calling in. You girls are terrific! Second, I think Asina's making a real comeback. I think that quarter is really good. It takes a, it's a battleship, that thing. If they turn it around, it goes higher. I say stick with that one. But, but can I ask you for your parents to get on for a sec? Hi, yeah, this is Tom. Tom, thank you so much. You just made my week, okay? We're having a ton of fun. We call the basement the boardroom, and we've got eight girls and four boys, and it's a lot of fun. Well, I love you guys. Thank you. It was a very hard week, and I really appreciate that, and our whole team does, too. 
right. We don't know if the bulls or bears will feast next week until we get a deal done or the Fed says, hey, we're one and done. Remember this when you used to do that? Those are happy days at Penn Manor and we're more, weren't they? Uh, anyway, on Man Money tonight, the stocks of Activision Blizzard and Take-Two Interactive have hit pause. Is it game over? <laughs> or is it game on? Then the Coca-Cola mulling cannabis drinks, well, actually they're not. That's just me mulling it. I'm pouring over the details with the CEO to see if the company could bubble up. Cannabis sparkling? Never mind. Uh, plus, exploring the chip rack. I'm talking NVIDIA's no good, very bad day, and horrible month. Down 30% in four weeks. Bark, bark. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What the heck is wrong with the video game stocks? Going into the fourth quarter, Wall Street was incredibly bullish on the entire group, especially Activision Blizzard, longtime Kramer fave, Take-Two Interactive, although many investors had already given up on the third major player, the Alien Electronic Arts. We figured these companies would be huge winners. Gaming's become a major business. It's sometimes you consider it, because of at least Take-Two, uh, for Grand Theft Auto, it's bigger than Hollywood. And these companies should benefit enormously from the rise of the stay-at-home economy, the rise of esports, the rise of in-game microtransactions, where they change re- real money for extra stuff in the game. Plus, Activision and Take-Two both had some new releases that were supposed to be insanely popular. The new Call of Duty for Activision, Red Dead Redemption number 2 for Take-Two. And yet their stocks have both been tossed into the wood wood chipper like Steve Buscemi near the end of Fargo. Since the end of September, Activision Blizzard has lost an astounding 40% of its value. Take-Two is off about 18%. EA has come down 43% from its highs over the summer, including a hideous 28% decline from the end of September. Now, first, I figured the weakness in the video game publishers was simply one part of this market's more general turn, I should say revulsion, against growth names during the big breakdown last month. People were selling all their winners, and that included Take-Two Interactive and Activision. But other growth names have started to bounce, while the video game stocks, they just keep falling. So it's time to take a step back and try to figure out what the heck's going on here. Specifically, are Take-Two and Activision merely broken stocks that can be bought in the weakness? Or have they become broken companies that should be avoided at all costs? Don't buy. Don't buy. I'm not even bothering EA because that's been an absolute train wreck. Ever since the company reported an awful quarter in July, including tepid numbers for their their FIFA soccer franchise and some diminished expectations for the new Battlefield game that comes out next week. Well, the answer turns out for this this conundrum, it it, it turns out it's a little complicated. Something has gone wrong at Activision Blizzard. Bobby Kotick's a real smart guy, the CEO, but something's gone wrong. It may be similar to electronic arts than we thought, certainly. But the smaller, more nimble take, two is doing great. And I think it's insane that this stock has been hit so hard. In other words, you're getting a fabulous buying opportunity in Strauss Selnick's take, two. But Activision? Hard pass. Let me give you my reason. For ages, the video game publishers were some of the strongest stocks around. Activision's more than tripled over the past five years. Take-Two's rallied more than 
600%. Even Electronic Arts, which has been the worst house in a good neighborhood for, for a while now, is up roughly 250% over the same period. Then quarter-date Activision's plunged from 83 to nearly 51 Take two's fallen from 138 to almost 114. Now, at the end of September, these two companies seem to have a lot going for them. Activision Blizzard was about to release the much hyped Call of Duty Black Ops 4, the next entry in that blockbuster franchise. Take two looked even more promising with Red Dead Redemption 2 coming out last, late last month. You know, that's perhaps the most anticipated release in the industry since Take two's last 10 pull title, Grand Theft Auto 5, which is still selling well. Take-Two also had some new releases coming for their popular sports franchises like NBA 2K, WWE 2K. Oh, and one more thing. Like I mentioned earlier, Electronic Arts has been very troubled since the summer, and there was some expectation that Take-Two and Activision would be able to feast over the carcass. In short, the future looked really bright. Really, the only fly in the ointment was the popularity of these Battle Royale games like Fortnite, uh, owned by a privately held company, by the way, as there was a fear that they'd eat into sales for many of the big new releases. I know I always ask Strauss Selnick about that. Uh, he said, listen, the more the merrier, basically, was his answer. All right, so let's drill down. What went wrong here? First, obviously, there was the market-wide sell-off in early October that I covered. It laid low pretty much all of the turbocharged growth stocks. I mean, you know, the Adobe's of the world, the Workdays. Well, there was nothing company-specific about those declines. I could make something up, but the truth is that all the news about Take-Two and Activision Blizzard was positive. In fact, Activision released a new Call of Duty game in mid-October, and we started hearing a lot of good things, lots of great reviews, lots of buzz from gamers. The analysts who covered the stock for Piper Jaffray argued that it might sell more than 23.5 million copies this year. But a few days later, that bullish narrative changed, well, let's just say it charged straight into a brick wall. On October 18th, we got some cold, hard numbers for Call of Duty. They were okay. The game generated more than 500 million in sales worldwide during its first three weeks. I mean, during his first, I'm sorry, for during his first three days. And that would be an amazing number for any other company. But it wasn't the blowout figure. $500 million in three days wasn't enough. It wasn't the blowout figure that many money managers were hoping for. So Activision stock started going into its tailspin. And that, in turn, dragged down take two because the whole sector is tied together by ETFs, which means the stocks really trade in lockstep even when they shouldn't. Then we learned that China, a huge gaming market, was setting new restrictions on video game releases and in-game microtransactions, which was a negative for everybody in the business. There was a lot worse for Activision, which gets 23%. I'm darn it. Activision, which gets 13% of its sales from China, then for Take-Two, which only gets 6% from China. Finally, at the very end of October, we got some fabulous news. Take-Two's Red Dead Redemption 2 lived up to the hype, generating $725 million in sales over its first three days, making it the second-highest-grossing launch of all time. Now, a little over a week ago, we started getting earnings, and they painted a confusing picture. Take-Two reported an excellent quarter with better-than-expected sales, better-than-expected bookies, better-than-expected earnings, and some massive margin expansion. The only negative, well, it was, it, it was really small. The new NBA 2K was a little soft. The management gave some conservative guidance. Call me a Pollyanna if you want, but I think they're simply trying to under-promise and over-deliver. Strauss Zelnick's a very conservative man. However, Wall Street got freaked out by the forecast. And after initially rallying 5%, the stock gave up all its gains and closed down more than 5%. When we spoke to CEO Strauss Zelnick last week on the show, he told a very compelling story, though. He's done a terrific job over the years. I bet he can keep putting out fabulous results. doesn't hurt that all of the Red Dead uh, pre-orders were counted as deferred revenue in the quarter. They'll only be recognized radically as uh, actual revenues this current quarter, which means the numbers should be huge. 
But unfortunately, the next day, Activision Blizzard gave you some suboptimal numbers. While they reported a small earnings beat and an inline revenue guide, uh, inline revenue numbers, this is what hurt, really hurt them. The company's key destiny franchise it had a real sh- Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Shortfall. But the worst part was Activision's grim forecast for the next quarter. The stock plunged more than 12% last Friday. It's continued to go down since then, practically in a straight line because of that forecast. Now, it didn't help that the company had their annual Blizzard convention a couple of weeks ago, which turned into a public relations fiasco when the company got its customers excited about a new release in one of their most popular franchises, Diablo. But it turned out to be a mobile game they were outsourcing to some knockoff Chinese developer. All this added to the impression that maybe Activision Blizzard has lost touch with its customer base. But here's the thing. Because all these video game stocks trade together, again, the ETF uh, kind of thing that just drives me crazy. Take-Two keeps getting slammed along with Activision. Now, its stock fell more than 5% last Friday, and it got hit even harder until yesterday when it rebounded from 106 to 113. However, it's still down dramatically from its highs. Now, a month ago, we made our choice between Activision and Take-Two. I told you Take-Two was the better buy, and then we added its, uh, the stock to the bullpen for my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. I'm sticking by that judgment. I think Take-Two's good right here. I think the market agrees with me. I mean, for instance, NVIDIA reported a hideous shortfall last night, and it looks like from their commentary that the gaming market, which they make, they make cards for, might be slowing. Although the same chips are used for cryptocurrency mining, which is collapsing, so it's hard to tell. Still, investors dumped EA and Activision Blizzard down 2% and 4% respectively, but Take-Two didn't even notice, with the stock almost, uh, actually gaining almost 1%. So here's the bottom line. The market has clearly turned on the video game publishers, and it's painting with a very broad brush. But Take-Two's doing great. I think you're getting terrific buying opportunity, and every time Take-Two gets dragged down by weakness at Activision or Electronic Arts, you know what I do? I just buy more. Let's go to Mario in New Jersey. Mario. Hey, Jim, a big booyah to you from Hudson County, New Jersey. Oh, good to have you on the show. What's up? I got a question, a two-prong question on Logitech. I bought it at $47 a share. I'm down about 25%. Uh, I just want to know, is it still best of breed? And since uh, I do have time on my side, uh, should I hold on to it, or should I cut my losses and look for something else to get back to even? Well, uh, I think that cutting your losses here, the stock's up 2% still. It's probably going to give up that. 
Uh, people are very concerned about gaming. They think it slows. I think you'll probably catch some downgrades. Ultimately, though, I think the stock is going to haul probably in the 20s. Can you take that risk? I think it's okay. All right. It may be game over for companies like Activision Blizzard and Electronic Arts, but for Take-Two, I think the fun's just getting started. Much more man money in. I'm sharing a Coke with the beverage giant CEO. Find out where the stock could be headed next. Then NVIDIA stock had its worst day in more than a decade today. Is it a good time to buy, or is there more pain ahead? And good news if the dog ate your homework. I did it for you, and it could make you some money. So stay with Kramer. They quenched the thirst of billions for over a century. But have consumer tastes passed this beverage giant by? Or this year? Have new innovations put the bubbles back in the stock of Coca-Cola? All this late cycle talk about how we're nearing the end of the economic expansion. People are saying that everywhere, but but the Fed apparently. And uh, that we're due for a slowdown. It's not bad news for everyone. In an environment like this one, investors search for safe havens. Companies that can keep putting up good numbers even during a recession. Companies like Coca-Cola. Now, I've been doing the homework on Coke, and I have to tell you, there's an awful lot there is to like about this one, which is why I was thrilled to get a chance to check in with James Quincy. He's the CEO of the Coca-Cola Company this very morning at the New York Stock Exchange. Take a look. All right, James, 6% growth, a remarkable acceleration. What's behind the transformation? Uh, look, I think it's, uh, it's the song. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Of a lot of work over uh, over a number of years. I mean, we've been uh, we refranchised the bottlers. We've got stronger foundation of our execution. We've been reinvesting in our brands, and we've been broadening the portfolio. So there's been some momentum building. I think it's now five quarters. We've been in our long-term growth model. Um, the third quarter was a little flattered by stuff, but it's the sum of the strategies. Okay, uh, lifting, shifting, scaling. I keep hearing that from you. What does it mean? Uh, what it means is, you know, the world is not quite uh, flat. It's not flat enough for global brands everywhere. And it's not so dissimilar that it can be local brands everywhere. So we really need to find that sweet spot between what is it that really works uh, in a place that has portability to other countries. So we can create either global brands, regional brands, or even local brands that use the same chassis, if you like, around the world with different approaches. Okay. When I hear that, what I think of is there's only one way to do it. Digitization. It sounds like that you have algos. I wouldn't say I wish we had algos to choose the right brands, um, but digitization is big. Tell me. Digitization is going to change everything. It's going to change the relationship with the consumer. It's going to change the nature and who are the customers that we sell with to the consumers, and it's going to change the way we operate. You can actually see it marching across the world, uh, and the pace is really picking up, and I think 
Whilst tomorrow it's not different, in 10 years' time, this industry will fundamentally be different. When you have 27 million customer outlets, how the heck can you digitize and personalize? Because we sell to each of them. I mean, the sum of the bottling system, they know who these 27 million are. I mean, they literally are going to them every week. They're in a database. So really, it's about how can we leverage this incredible asset that our bottlers have built uh, to sell more and to help our customers grow faster. And apparently, you've figured out, you've cracked the code. Diet, Coke Zero, double digit. Who likes that stuff besides my wife? <laughs> besides your wife and lots of other people. <laughs> well, Diet Coke in the U.S. finally growing again. How? Come on. We, we heard it was just something that is bad for you. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a great product. It's a great product. It's a safe product. We've reinvented it. We've reinvented, we've reinvented the can. We've reinvented with some cool flavors. We've reinvented the marketing. And, you know, we've made it relevant. We just, we just hadn't brought it into the 21st century. We've got 4 million new households in the Diet Coke franchise in the U.S. Uh, we've got brand indicators that are going up. And that's while Coke Zero Sugar is growing double digits. Actually, it grew the fastest ever in the third quarter. That's amazing. Now, this sounds like, again, a new strategy. Total beverage company. Costa, why did you spend $5.1 billion to get into a market that a lot of people think is real crowded? Coffee. Coffee is one of the biggest parts of beverages. It's what do you think total addressable? 500 billion market okay. plus okay. dollars. And what's interesting is, yeah, there's the ready-to-drink piece. Actually, we're global leaders out of our Asia business. Right. There's the at-home piece through the, through the supermarkets, through the, through the um, modern trade. But the biggest piece is in immediate consumption channels. And, and actually, whilst coffee shops exist, the biggest piece is the rest. Helping other customers be a, have a store in a store and executing coffee within other people's outlets is a big opportunity for them. And I think there's a, there's a lot of white space to do a lot better around the world. Uh, Starbucks is pretty good. I mean, are, can you go head to head or is this different where you're talking about barista, but you're also talking about express, which seems like a great business model. Absolutely. Our idea is not to go head-to-head. I mean, the coffee shops are there. They build the experience. Right. Uh, but what we see, whether you want to call it food service or partnering uh, with, with customers that, that get stores, the Express is like the, the top-end vending machine right. for coffee that gets a barista Love experience, it. whether it's in a petrol station, a convenience store, an at-work. We have store-in stores in cinemas. So there's a massive opportunity to partner with customers to sell more coffee, really high-quality barista coffee in someone else's store. You also talk about how American consumers like enhanced hydration. You're talking about water, blowing it out. Yeah, water, I mean, water's, water's expanding into lots of different angles. There's, there's the premium water, there's the sparkling water. I know we've talked before about Topo Chica. Topo fan- Chica can't keep it stocked. Can't keep it stocked. We've, we've got to put in more capacity. We've got, we've got a fantastic opportunity with that in premium sparkling and lots of different things. There's lots of fragmentation occurring in the still water with the antioxidants and the alkaline waters, and we're, we're in that. So water's becoming a much more interesting category. And then there's enhanced hydration. We made the investment. Uh, in body armor, and, and you know, that's, that's kind of the cross between hydration and sports. Very interesting, very exciting opportunity. Are you going head-to-head with Monster, your partner? No, we, we've got well, a... Come on, there's arbitration, April. Yeah, yeah, we, we, I mean, we have a fantastic relationship. Is it relationship. frenemy? What, is it a frenemy thing? <laughs> we've, got a, we've created a lot of value together for them, for us, He's and for the fa- bodies. Fantastic, like when the president says he's got that fantastic relationship with the guy who runs China? 
It's like that kind of thing? <laughs> no, I, I, to me, it's a, like a fantastic relationship, as in we're creating lots of value together. <laughs> okay. I mean, look at how Monster Stock's done, the bottlers have created lots of value, we've created lots of value. We've got a disagreement on one piece of the thing, and we said, look, let's not, let's not torture ourselves by extending the debate. Let's just do arbitration uh, and find a way to move forward and create more value together. Right, we're going to do something uh, that is different from the conference call. We're going to make it so you don't give me a 30-word answer. I have just spent time with a big liquor company, the largest. They say, okay, we have no choice. That's it. We have to do cannabis. All right? The largest. We know that the big beer companies are in or have to be. You dismissed it out of hand. But if it were legal, how could you avoid doing sparkling cannabis? Because that's what we want. Well, I mean, I have a very simple way. If you want more than a 30-word answer. I do. It's, 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 I have a very simple way of thinking about ingredients, including the CBD, not the, the no, active no, ingredient. we're not going to do that. We're not THC. That. The CBD? Yeah. The way I think about ingredients is the following. Is it legal? Is it safe? And is it consumable? Because they're mm. three different things. Yeah. Is it legal? It's not legal in the US. It's not even legal for beverages in Canada yet. Is it safe? Science is out. Uh, we want to, we believe our consumers want to trust us that our beverage are indisputably safe. And therefore, we want to see consensus science built behind any ingredient, whichever one it is. And this is not a, we want to sell drinks that people can drink each day. So it's not like no. something you have once. We want it to be able to, you have one a day. And if, you, if, you can't make, if you can't cross those three things of legal, safe, and consumable, it's not an ingredient that's going to work for us. All right, that's a rigorous, better than dismissive answer. We keep hearing tariffs can hurt you, shortage of truck drivers. Could Coca-Cola train a thousand? You can do anything. You're big. You're bigger than the State Department. Couldn't you train drivers worldwide wherever you need them? This should not be a shortage problem for Coca-Cola. You're too big and too good. Yeah, freight's been a problem in the U.S. Uh, for sure this year. Let's solve it. Uh, absolutely. We're working very hard on solving, on solving freight. Trust me, it's been a big cost element this year. Actually, part of it was the change in the structure of regulation and how the drivers responded to the marketplace. Thank you for saying that. It's the 50-hour rule. That really hurt. It yeah. hurt the issue. It, it changed the way that yeah. truck drivers wanted to make themselves available and sign up. And, 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 and now we had to adapt. And, and we're working hard to, to do that. But, J uh, James, uh, Facebook's in the news. You actually directly say Facebook Messenger worked really, really, really well in some parts. In Brazil, would you ever abandon Facebook as a way to get in touch with millennials? It seems like it's working for you. Uh, we, we, we're going to follow the millennials and we're going to follow okay. the communication vehicles that they, that they use and they want. We want to communicate with them. So we use a broad broad range of platforms. All right, last question. You're a worldwide ambassador. Coca-Cola is a worldwide entity. What can Coca-Cola do to help the world? The way we see it is we're both global and local. In any country you're in, almost 100% of everything you drink will have been made in that country. So the way we see the, 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 the globe and progress is, look, we don't believe in a perfect world and perfect people, but things can be made better. Let's move forward and build on rather than go backwards. So you, you like to, you know, bring the world a Coke. Bring the world a Coke and a local Coke <laughs> with local right. jobs. No, it's working. You've done a great job. Thank major, you. Major. Mutar was good. You're taking it to another level. That's my point. James Quincy. He's the Coca-Cola president and CEO. James, congratulations on an unbelievable couple of quarters. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Every night I come out here and try to answer your questions. I've been doing, I don't know, 3,000 shows. 
But sometimes you stump me with a stock I either don't know or haven't been following that closely. And, and because I'm a huge believer in the value of doing the homework, I remember I criticized some Fed guy today for not doing enough homework. I certainly have to do the homework. I take the, my time and I look into this stuff and I try to take it as seriously as possible. And you know that. I do the research, then I come back to you with what I hope is a well-thought-out answer, certainly better than anything I might be able to do off the cuff. So why don't we catch up on some homework? On September 6th, Randy in Pennsylvania called about USA Technologies, USAT. And I told him I needed to re-familiarize myself with this one before giving a considered opinion. USA Technologies is a payment processing play. Hot area, right? Helps manage secure cashless and mobile transactions for the self-service retail market. Think vending machines, laundromats, kiosks, or self-checkout lines at the supermarket. Now, you'd think this would be a phenomenal business, right? As the whole world is switching from paper to plastic. And the ability to do your laundry with a credit card rather than lugging around a big pile of quarters is a big step up. Plus, USA Technologies has software that lets owners remotely monitor and control these electronic payment machines. When you buy or lease their technology, you also sign up to pay a monthly fee while also giving the company a small cut of each transaction. Think of it as yet another example of the razor razor blade business model that we love so much. But the last time we got a homework question about USA Technologies, I told you to take a pass. I thought the stock had run too much for my liking, and it seemed like the potential downside far outweighed any possible upside. Well, sure enough, the stock was at $9.30 when I made that call, and then it ran up to nearly 17 in August. So I was too conservative. But since then, it's come plummeting back to earth to the point where it now trades at $5 with a roughly $300 million market cap. If it goes much slower, I won't be able to talk about it on the show. So what caused this true meltdown? When Randy asked about USAT in September, the stock was near its highs. And I wondered, maybe I had misjudged it in January. Well, you know what? I'm glad we, we took our time. Because just four days after I got the question, USA Technologies announced that it would have to delay its annual report for the 2018 fiscal year because it was conducting an internal investigation into some of its contractual arrangements. Well, sure enough, the stock instantly lost 40% of its value. And since then, you know what? It's kept going lower. Then just this Monday, USA Technologies told us that it wouldn't be able to file its latest quarterly report. We haven't gotten any information about how the business is doing since May. Today, we learned that the company's entered into some sort of consent agreement with one of its lenders, J.P. Morgan, over the delayed financial statements. Frankly, I, I don't know about you, but I think none of this sounds very good. Regular viewers know my rule of thumb here, okay? Accounting irregularities equals sell. I'm going to repeat that because it's so important. Accounting regularities equals sell. And that's one of the first rules that I had in my first book about how to uh, own stocks. It's really the end of the story. I don't care about anything else. Next up on September 11th, we've got a question from Daniel in California about a really interesting one called TPI Composites. TPI, see, I said I get back. This one's intriguing. TPI makes composite materials, especially composite blades, for windmills. In, large, in fact, you know, they're the largest maker of composite wind, build, uh, wind blades in the United States. You see them wandering around trying to figure out what, makes, what can make it last so, what can be so strong to be able to take all that pressure. You really need advanced materials for these things because they take an enormous amount of stress and they need to be engineered just so it, uh, to help generate the maximum amount of energy. 
Now, a few weeks ago, a new analyst at Morgan Stanley assumed coverage of TPI composites, giving a stock an overweight rating or a buy, and raising the firm's price target from $31 to $42. His thesis, he thinks the market's dramatically underestimating TPI's revenue growth potential. More and more wind, windmill developers are outsourcing the production of their blades. The company's been racking up new contract wins. Plus, as TPI figures out how to make their blades longer and longer, wind power becomes more and more efficient. So there's a virtuous cycle going on here. However, when TPI Composites reported last week, Wall Street was not impressed. Don't buy. Don't buy. Even though the company delivered a huge earnings beat, its sales came in a bit light. Uh, They're down oh so slightly year over year. My view, like I said, I, I am a little intrigued, but TPI has two glaring negatives that make me want to run screaming from the stock. First, this is an American company that gets nearly 40% of its sales from China. If you believe President Trump's latest assurances today that China wants to make a deal and our countries are going to be fine, well, then that's not a problem. But if you're at all concerned about the trade war, the hegemony issue, the containment problem, well, it is hugely bad for TPI. The second issue, the company's largest customer is General Electric. The house of pain. And when I say largest, I mean GE's ailing power business accounted for 45 percent of TPI sales last year. Now, the renewable energy business is one of the few bright spots for GE. But when you put it all together, that's just too many worries for this guy. In order to buy TPI composites, you need to believe that we'll get a trade detente with China real soon. And GE's new CEO, Larry Culp, will get the company on firmer footing instantly so we don't have to worry about this business. But at the moment, I recommend staying away from any company like TPI that gets roughly 40% of its sales from China, roughly 45% from GE. Why give yourself the adjective? Let me tell you something. There are a lot easier ways to make money. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! And then let's are you ready, skate that? Let's go to Steve in Rhode Island. Steve. Booyah, Kramer from Little Roadie. How's it going? Dynamite, how about you? Good, good. My question is regarding Wynn Resorts. W-Y-N. Now, ever since Steve Wynn left, we left with it. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to Monsoir in uh, Kentucky. Monsoir must be lucky. He's from Kentucky. What do you got? My question is about Tesla. It had a pretty good run. You know, I was at a Tesla store the other day, and the cars are beautiful. Next, Roger, Minnesota. Roger. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. I own a lot of shares in Visa in conjunction with You should with buy the stock of Visa. We almost did today. We almost pulled the trigger for ActualPlus.com. You can join the club. Barrett in Colorado. Barrett. Hey, Jim. Yo, yo. Love the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So, um, just regarding retailers reporting earnings next week, um, are you bearish on the whole sector after recent earning reports? That I think that the sector has to go down stock? because it's part of the fact that if the Fed keeps tightening, they go lower. What's the stock? So, is it a retailer like Target that you think can... Target, you know, I market? forgot to mention that in the game plan. I think Target's doing okay, but I wouldn't buy it until I have to report it. Let's go to Tim in Colorado. Tim. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Yo, doctor. Uh, Booyah from beautiful Boulder, Colorado. I love Boulder. Your thoughts of when you believe Opco will turn the corner, and would you? And that in Colorado, and that. And that. Hi. Hi. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. 
Um, I'm calling from Denver. My question today is about Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, a guy just called from Boulder, and what I said was, and then with Bed Bath & Beyond. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Got me? Got me? I got time for a lot of more apples to throw around. There, take that. Oh, hold it just a sec. I got one right here. Oh, here. Boom. And how about this one? No, this one we're going to blind it first with a little Frank's hot sauce. There. Sorry about that. Or shorting them like everyone else is doing. But right before the bear could pounce on it and me, I doused the M&Ms with the Tabasco. <laughs> the big old thing started gasping and huffing his darn full head up. <laughs> Not kidding. Bumped into some nice people today when I went to get a cappuccino at Tina DeLuca on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. One of them asked me if I had to rename my dog, the one known as NVIDIA, because of NVIDIA's disappointment <laughs> last night, which drove the stock down nearly 19%. I said, no, not to worry. I changed NVIDIA's name back to Everest when I told people to ring the register on the stock back in the high 200s early last month when I predicted it would miss the quarter. I told her I'd been worried that there could be a shortfall because so much of NVIDIA's business had been related to graphics chips that can be used both for video games and for cryptocurrency mining. Since crypto mining turned it into a fad, I thought they might be stuck with a lot of excess inventory and pricing would suffer. I was also concerned about the possible slowdown in the data center uh, and a difficult product transition, a transition that was ahead of them. And that's why NVIDIA, the dog, was back to being called Everest, who's a sweet, thoughtful knucklehead who happens to be Dumb as a bag of hammers. Oh, and don't worry, he doesn't watch the show, so he will take no offense. After this earnings shortfall and forecast cut of incredible proportions, I think a lot of people are feeling like NVIDIA should rename itself Everest because of their similar intellectual characteristics. I beg to differ. NVIDIA still makes the best graphics chips, which have become more, more powerful than traditional microprocessors. It still has a lead over the competition a lot of uses, although you could argue that AMD's catching up to them in the data center, while Intel rivals them in self-driving vehicles, courtesy of former CEO Brian Krasich's acquisition of Mobileye. More important, there are other aggrieved shareholders who believe NVIDIA knew that there would be a shortfall, and they should have said something beforehand, given the bullish tone they'd struck on the previous conference call. I don't know. I understand that, but I think it's wrong, too. There was no real way for the company to know what people were doing with the cards. It was impossible to figure out if they were using them for crypto mining or for gaming. Even three months ago, crypto seemed pretty dead, which suggested NVIDIA's strength was coming from gaming. But I guess it took a little longer for the true believers to throw in the towel. I'm surprised the analysts were so bullish going into the quarter. I think NVIDIA made an honest forecasting mistake, although given that some of us saw it coming, it was definitely an avoidable mistake. Not that long ago, I had a teaching for TheStreet.com, and someone in the audience wanted to know how I could turn on NVIDIA just like that. I said that one, the charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertPlus.com club. Well, uh, we sure didn't want to turn 
a really big gain into a loss, especially given the growing uncertainty in the end markets. You know what? That is exactly the opposite of what you need to do. After, and two, uh, in the end, NVIDIA is a company, and things can go wrong with a company. Uh, I should have said that you cannot, in, in any circumstances, fall in love with a stock. Remember, a stock is just a piece of paper. It will break your heart if you buy and hold instead of buying and doing homework. What, what do you do with it right now? If you didn't own NVIDIA, it's too soon to start buying it. There'll be two more quarters of inventory problems. If you do own it, I think you need to recognize that it'll be a long time before this thing can come back. So if you can wait it out, uh, you might want to, if only because NVIDIA still remains a great company and eventually they'll get it right. Sadly, though, they made some serious misjudgment about the level of demand for their product. And for that, NVIDIA is in the penalty box for a very long time. And Everest? He's happy. He's playing with his new friend, Bob Marley. And... Tell you the truth, he never answered to NVIDIA anyway. Stick with Kramer. Remember my view. I want another rate hike in December. Then I'm asking for some prudence. I don't like rash behavior from people who haven't done their homework. You do that one, and then you wait and see what happens, okay? You get rid of the dogma, and you stop it with the ideology, and you become respectable and responsible, which is what I want. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Carrey, and I'll see you Monday! This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.